0: Hello, peers, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. What I love most about this podcast of ours is getting to speak to people who are actively making the world a better place. And today's guest is no exception. Most of us would rather hide in our shells than be the odd one out. But today's guest reveals that embracing our differences is the key to shining bright like a diamond I'd like to welcome Ellie Watson to the show today. The world of tech can be a lonely valley for a woman, and Ellie was no stranger to being the only girl in the workplace. But rather than accept the status quo, she combined her love for creativity and technology to create code like a girl, a social enterprise dedicated to providing girls with the tools, knowledge, and support to flourish in the world of coding. I am so excited To be talking to Ellie today about the gender inequality she faced as a child and how we can make a difference no matter what the odds are against us. Let's take a listen. Ellie. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by the Peers Project. We're so excited to have you.
1: I am very excited to be here. There's a lot of
0: good energy in this room. Oh, we love hearing that. (laughs) No, we're so excited to have you. And look, I reached out to you recently um, because I've heard so much about your business, A Code Like a Girl. It's just, I feel like it's blown up here in Melbourne. And I knew I wanted to have you on the show, so I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: My absolute pleasure.
0: Love it. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah. So I am currently the CEO and co-founder of Code Like a Girl, Um, but my background is I'm a technologist. So computer science is what I studied, ended up being a software engineer for about seven years as a back-end engineer. It was a sausage fest. (laughs) (laughs) And so total lived experience of just being that only girl in a team, only girl in the office, only girl in the classroom at times. And so this just really got to me. and, And so Code Like a Girl started is a passion project, something that I was like, I could do something here, I could make a change here. There's a lot of girls not being exposed to this. I'm gonna have a crack at it. So that's kind of how it started and now, like you said, it's it's, <laughs> it's been received very well in Australia and specifically Melbourne mm-hmm. has just embraced it and just been such an incredible community that, you know, it's 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 one of those things you can't even feel like you take that much credit for it because you know how much the community has played a part in like making it explode. So um, it is, yeah, it's been quite the journey.
0: Oh my goodness. I love that. And I want to learn so much more and I want to dive deeper into Code Like a Girl and where we're at here in Melbourne with it. But before we do, I want to start with a question that I have often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far?
1: We're getting personal.
0: Right, right away. <laughs> right, straight into it. <laughs> Just get into it. She doesn't hold back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in, so if you can't tell from my accent, um, Scotland. So I grew up in a little town called Airdrie. Um, I think when I was at high school, it was voted the worst town in Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) It is um, a total derelict town, um, quite unemployment scarred. Um, Yeah, so I do think where you grow up and your upbringing has a massive influence on who you end up being, (laughs) what kind of business person you end up being. Um, I think as an entrepreneur, this journey is a constant self-reflection. You make decisions, you um, face very challenging times and you're always looking within yourself um, for that inner strength and wondering why why did, I, why, did I feel this way about this or why did I react that way about that? It's like therapy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I find myself often reflecting on where I grew up and how my experiences were at school and in that town and how um, even just within the family, my mum was a single parent and I grew up in a house full of women. So I've, I've got three big sisters um, who I love dearly, but are absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, they're they are like, our house was madness. Our house was totally madness when we were growing up. You know, nothing was taboo. Like we all just, even my mum, like we just talk about all things that are like, just we get together just like girls and just like chat about everything and anything. And, and everything's on the table, which is kind of amazing um, and there's such strong women as well so being surrounded by just really strong females mm. um, so yeah it's, it's had a huge influence on my values, mm. personal values and then those values ultimately as business owners and, and as founders like you take your own personal values and you create a company that is aligned to those values so again where I went to school it was again like voted, <laughs> I actually realised re- recently the school I went to was voted like 200 in a list of 300 schools in the UK. It was wow. like real down low. <laughs> um, and there was just, you know, there was there was points where um, when I was like in my late teens that, you know, I went through a, a really rough patch of being bullied and I was, I was what you call a mosher. Mm. Do you get that word here. No, what, I was what, what, like an alternative rocky okay. kind of person, Got which it seems like it was actually a really popular choice yeah. for people here. But in eardry, oh. nah, <laughs> a lot of people oh. were into like Adidas track suits and not in the cool hipster way that they are now. <laughs> so being an alternative really sort of isolated me at school. Um, and so I'd spend a lot of my time like in the art department, just keeping my head down, just mm-hmm. getting on with my studies because there was just always scenarios happening at school. Just violence was kind of a common thread to mm. a lot of people's lives and just trying to avoid that and stay out of trouble and just kind of keep to myself was my strategy of survival <laughs> at that stage. Um, but but also, um, I think it's... I think definitely growing up in communities where um, very working class, mm. you know, there was... Um, I grew up in a council flat wow. when I was younger. Wow. Um, very similar to the ones that are close by yeah. here. Yes. Those kind of high-rise ones. Yeah. And, um, wow. yeah, just exposed to what um, that can do to people, like there's a lot of neglect in Scotland in these towns, Mm. Um, things shut down, people are unemployed Mm. it is like, it is tough times and I I grew up in that kind of era Um, and that was really good for me, like that made me a really rounded person Mm. and it it made me more empathetic it made me kind of understand like the discrimination that happens to people in poverty and so yeah, I I take that all with me. Yeah. Every experience I had, the tough ones, the ones that I can't even talk about without crying, you know, I take all that with me and I use it in my mission. Um, so we can talk a bit more about that. Mm. <laughs> I think that kind of summarises where I'm from.
0: I I absolutely I just appreciate the fact that you're so open about it, and I think. It's always so interesting to hear, as you said, where the founder grew up, what, you know, what surrounded them as at, at an early age because that very much so does affect, mm-hmm. you know, what you end up building, what you end up doing, your own personal values, which end up in your company values, as you said. And so, Absolutely. wow, that that's, that's something I did not expect to hear from you, which is amazing. So <laughs> talk, I just want to dive a little bit deeper okay. into that. So talk to me a bit about, you know, that resilience you had to develop, mm. Abby, in those tough times, you know, living in a place that, you know, you saw lots of violence, there was a lot mm. going on, and you had these strong women at home, but on the out, you know, walk outside and, oh my goodness, here's the real world. Yeah. You know, talk to us a bit about what you learned about yourself during that time and how that resilience has played a part today.
1: Mm. Oh, this is going to get so deep. I <laughs> didn't <laughs> expect us to talk about this. Okay. Um,
0: Welcome I'm, to the Pace Project.
1: There's probably definitely a, a good six months of my life that I definitely try and block out a lot. Um, I'm starting as an adult. I'm starting to come to terms with it a bit more, but there was a really rough patch. Um, we, and it's kind of a huge backstory, but we moved from. Being this family collective, to my parents divorcing, um, we had to we were you know almost homeless at one point because mm-hmm. my mum, and this is where gender inequality kind of started in my head because my mum was of a generation where women just weren't encouraged to go to you know university or to to really get themselves professional careers. She was of that generation where it was like find a man, get married, have kids, you know. And so when their divorce um, happened, they separated when I was only four. Um, So when that happened, my mum, she didn't have a lot of options. So she, um, at first, you know, she was just making ends meet, which meant we had to move out of the the family home and into um, a council estate and and move into those kind of of commission style housing. And that was a real tough challenge for us because we were known, you know, it's such a small community and we were known as the family that lived in the big house across the wow. across the street from the, the primary school. And so that was a really tough, and I hope my mum doesn't mind me talking about this. I was just, just kind of realising, <laughs> sharing her family story. Um, <laughs> and so that was really tough because people in the community, we, we were kind of outsiders mm. to them, so it was really hard to integrate. But we made it work. My mum always made, like, the best um, toffee apples at Halloween, for instance. The queue was down the street. and oh. And so there was points that are so, like, pleasant in my mind. You know, moments of playing um, TIG with all the neighbours or just, like, there was a real sense of, like, community. Like, all the kids knew each other. All the adults knew each other. But then that was also bad when things got bad. So you would find... just, you know, gangs. There, there was a lot of gangs that would come through the estate. Maybe they didn't come from there and they're battling the gangs of your estate. There was all these kind of young gangster type things <laughs> which sounds... <laughs> yeah, and so that was, that happened a lot. So you'd often get the drama of like police light and you'd, you'd be sitting watching the TV, you know, blind date on a Friday night yeah. <laughs> and you'd see these like blue lights from outside and you'd, you'd kind of like peek out your curtain and you'd, you'd have the, the police dogs out and people with like, you know, bats and baseball bats and stuff like this stuff I've seen really bad stuff like Mm. just from that eyewitness kind of watching from your window um and then unfortunately we did um there was something really crappy that happened and we had to there was a yeah I'll probably not go into too much detail Mm. but it resulted in me being quite severely bullied at school for about six months I had to be um, dropped off, picked up from school. Um, there was, yeah, just this real rough patch where, yeah, just, it was <laughs> too much, TMI. <laughs> Didn't I expect to talk about all this. But but it, but the resilience, um, coming back to that piece of the resilience, mm. like, I remember being so sick with worry that I was, I genuinely believe at 16 year old that I was going to be killed. <laughs> oh. Like, and thinking back now, you as an adult and looking back at that, you're like, well, of course you're not going to be killed. These mm. these peoples maybe might hurt you or mm. might um, you know attack you in a group, <laughs> but hopefully you won't die. Yeah. <laughs> but there was um, a real rough patch at school, and 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 that took that took away a huge amount of confidence for me. Mm. That just destroyed me. Um, I remember probably not even dealing with it properly at the time. Mm. Um, the trauma of it all and. Um, I remember it affected a few other people in my family, and it was just a very um dark time. and and I probably like, yeah, it it really changed me as a person. And I didn't realize what I was going through and the resilience I was showing you. you don't know. you just mm. survive and you get through it day to day. And before you know it, it's twelve months later, you're healed. Yeah. It's out your life. But you're still unable to talk about it properly because it's just it's trauma. Mm. And I was not I was never able to connect. Like, when people would talk about trauma, I didn't realise I had that in my life until I was able to, like, talk about this properly. Like, I've I've seen a therapist, and it was the best thing I've ever done. Yeah. Like, and I would just... Some people don't really realise that they have it in their lives. Um, And that really helped me put the pieces together, but also helped me realise that resilience started very young for me. And it set me up good for life, because mm. as a business owner, you'll know yourself, it's just... <sighs> It's hard work it's and
0: very difficult.
1: You have moments where the only only way you can survive is that grit and resilience. And um, like I said, it's it's something I've been building from a young age. Mm. And um, even when I was at computer science studying at university, that took another mm. load of resilience and grit to keep going because I was. A minority in the classroom and not only was I the one of the few ghettos in the classroom and I'll say girls in case <laughs> no one knows what I just said because I have such a problem saying the word girls <laughs> um, so girls I was one of the only girls in the class and um, not only that I was from an artistic background mm-hmm. so I ended up accidentally getting into computer science because oh. my original plan and I was telling you earlier, I was in the art department at my lunch times. That was my jam. <laughs> I <laughs> loved the creative world. I thought I was maybe going to do fashion, maybe fine art. And so the big, big plan was to get into art school. Um, but that didn't work out. I got rejected. From every art school in the country oh. <laughs> not just one year but two years in a row and oh. so I had to just accept that like this was not going to be my life <laughs> um so that was like the second part of resilience that I learned from like 19 um and then found myself panicking and the University of Glasgow um mm. they had they have a period called the cleaning period Now, it's just before the the semester starts at university and they have leftover courses because at that point, everything's been sorted out. Like, Mm -hmm. people have decided what course they're doing and they have those final numbers. So they they put up a list of courses that have leftover spots. And so I was so late in the day because I'd been rejected from bloody everywhere (laughs) (laughs) that I saw computer science and software engineering on the list. And I was like, okay, I was good at maths. I have this artistic Ability within me. (laughs) I still believed in it, (laughs) despite the rejection. Um, And I thought, maybe there's something in this. Maybe there's a combination here and I could design software. So I just went for it. And I remember feeling like such an outsider, not just for my gender, but just not coming from a tech world because a lot of people in the class... Mm. They already had been coding. They already had been learning tech from a young age. That was why they chose it, which <laughs> made a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, you can understand why they would choose a degree in something they like and have experience with. within. <laughs> and here was me learning to code for the first time, learning about binary and bits and bytes and like infrastructure. It was just so overwhelming. But I always had that resilience yeah. and I would always remember my mum So my mum ended up going back to university when I was seven um, in her 40s. And she got herself a degree and a job and a profession and worked her way up. And so this, this woman in my life was always such a strong female role model for me. She would come, she would work crazy shifts and put dinner on the table for us and make it work. And for her to go through that. And then for me to like drop out because a a subject's too hard? Nah, no, (laughs) I ain't getting away with that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I stuck at it, and I fell in love with technology, and I was able to do exactly what I wanted: put together my two loves, creativity and technology and that's how it all started.
0: (laughs) Wow Ellie I just there are so many points of this conversation you guys can't see us because obviously (laughs) it's a podcast but that my mouth and my head was just moving so much because I resonated so much with what you were talking about I just want to acknowledge you for sharing that with us I I you know, it's, oh, it's not easy, you know, no, but I, we so appreciate it. No we problem. really do. And I think it's, uh, this is what I always say, this is, I guess, the purpose of the show is to be able to shed light on the hard times of this journey because, I mean, I think, you know, what you've created is beyond phenomenal. You've won awards. I could list them all, <laughs> you know, but it's just, it's about learning and figure, and realising that the journey is so much more than it just seems from the outside. And so yeah. I so appreciate you sharing that with oh, us.
1: Thank you, Michelle.
0: Um, So, wow. Okay, so what got me really, I guess the question I want to ask next is around that just that you were like, oh, I'll pick pick a leftover course, you know, (laughs) a course that I can just kind of get into. I mean, so many of us overthink, overthink, overthink on what we want to do with our lives, what university courses to do, what job to get, you know, and most of the time we're so nervous to even go out and do that when the opportunity is presented. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who – Perhaps, you know, aren't as resilient as you and they they, they, they second-guessed everything. Mm. What advice would you give?
1: Oh, that's a toughie. I mean, for me, I see education as a tool. I think you have to figure out what you're passionate about, what drives you. And it's not always easy just to, to do that. Like, like art school was what dr- drove me. Mm. But actually, my motivation was creative. I like to create. I like to make and so it's kind of looking at that differently. It's not always an obvious choice and you may not get your first choice and be okay with that. Know that no route to success is a straight line. Mm-hmm. And so I know that sounds really cheesy and like the total Pinterest quote <laughs> <laughs> with like the in the Pinterest. background <laughs> and the sunset. But it's, but it's kind of like working out what your drivers are and discovering that within yourself and not seeing your education or your course being the be all and end all, it's a tool, it'll get you places, it's a stepping stone, but you will always be driven by your passions and find those motivations, so um, my advice would be to, yeah, look within yourself, a bit of self-reflection, work out what really motivates you, what's going to get you up, is it fashion, okay, doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a fashion designer, you could work in the fashion world, there's so many other jobs in that space, um, because at the end of the day, even when I was a back-end engineer, this was a technical role, a real tech back-end. Like, <laughs> if you had to look at the layers, there's like designer at the top, front-end developer in the middle, and back-ends right at the bottom, right? So I'm farthest away from the design, mm-hmm. but it didn't take away the satisfaction that I was part of that team. Now, even though it was a designer's design, bringing that design to life, making that function, putting that online, Mm -hmm. making the database talk to the the front-end dev work, it's just you're part of the process, and that was satisfying enough. So it's about... Yeah, not, not kind of putting that pressure on yourself that you have to find the right university degree mm-hmm. that matches up with the right career, with the right industry. It's kind of like a mishmash. Yes. Um, and you just have to kind of go with the flow and make it work. Um, that would be my advice.
0: I love it. And go with the flow you did, Ali. And look, <laughs> as where, it, look where it's taken you. So look, I want to dive a bit into your transition from kind of, you know, university through the working world, working as a developer. I did see you worked at, I think it was two or three places. I think the one that stood out to me was the digital agency you worked as in as a developer back in Scotland. And then you made a decision to come to Australia. So talk to us a little bit about that time there. Yeah.
1: Okay. So that job was about the company called Screen Media. So when I first came across Screen Media, the only experience I had was predominantly um, Windows, kind of desktop-based console apps. Um, it was it wasn't web, um, and so this agency they were award-winning, um, doing really cute creative work. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I what a work for them! They look dead cool. And so I didn't have the experience though, mm-hmm. and they were so small. I don't. I wasn't sure if they would take me on. So I had to be a bit crafty with my CV because I couldn't send them. You know, on paper, I didn't look that great. You know, I would send them a CV that says, hey, this girl's been in an internship and did a graduate year um, that she's not even quite completed yet. (laughs) (laughs) And she doesn't have web experience. Take her on. (laughs) Take a risk. You've
0: got this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I thought to myself, how can I get these people's attention? Um, So I actually made myself um, this little, tiny postcard-sized CV I got my old, so I was a real big fan of like, this is so strange and random, but um I, even though I'm a digital technologist person, I actually still love the analogue world, like mm, typewriters, yes. like film cameras, oh, like dark room like love that, it. that <laughs> stuff, right? So I always had these wee bits and pieces around my house. So I got my typewriter out, I wrote my TV wow. on this little postcard size piece of paper. I cut things up, I stuck it, I even burnt edges and like made this weird arts and crafts TV that didn't have much information on it but it was beautiful <laughs> it was me on a plate right yeah. and it was basically saying I've got a degree and I've got a lot of experience mm. but I am really passionate about yeah. creativity so I posted it to the tech director wow. and now even you know how many years ago mm. it was they don't get posts often he would get CVs through his email box mm. daily but I'm pretty sure I was probably the only thing that was getting posted to him. And they they phoned me up the day they they received and they were just so curious. Why would you send this paper CV thing to a digital agency? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so they called me up and and got me in straight away. And so when they met me, I've got really good interpersonal skills. Yeah, I've always, always had that about me. Mm. Um, and so when they met me and they met how passionate I was, and I was willing to like work to the bo- work from the bottom and and make my way up, and they were just like, "Love your passion, come on board." So that first job was my break. Like mm. I stayed there for almost three years, loved it. Just you know, f- we were a family, and they grew from like when I joined them, there were a team of like ten. And now they're like 100 and they grew so fast, even in those three years I was there. So it was very inspirational for me to join a really small team and even be so close to the founders Mm. themselves and and all the directors. And they were like my friends. And so to be close to that, Mm. even from that really early stage, looking back, (laughs) I realized have influenced me a lot. Um, Mm. And they were such champions of me and really, um, you know, really sat me down and was like, we're really serious about you you give us a few more years like we'd love to bring you on as an associate we wow. we think you're amazing and and that kind of stuff was the conversations were happening and i would have i mean a part of me really wanted to jump for it a part of me loved working there and i'm still in touch with all the people i go wow. home and visit them um every year i go back in scotland and i visit them so we 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 made really good friendships but for me i was 25 mm-hmm. and i had never lived anywhere in my life i had never been anywhere outside scotland <laughs> and I kind of was like, had a little bit of itchy feet, but again, and my mum is like an annoying influence on me so much. Like every decision I make, I'm like, ah, oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, always you. Yeah, yeah. So when I was growing Back up, she'd always like talk about. She went. She went to Cyprus for like three years of her life, and she just. It was like a little record that went round and round. She would tell me this story and all these wee stories from Cyprus. It just, it seemed like it was a big deal to her. Like it was this very memorable experience that she had in her life and it was full of really fond memories. And I thought, what am I going to tell my children? Mm. I've not been to Cyprus and lived there for three years. I've not got these funny stories, Um, you know. And so I wanted stories to tell my children. And I thought, now is the time. You are young. You can do this. So I jumped on a plane and I decided to go to the other end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> yep, yes. <laughs> literally the other end of the world. No family here, no friends, um, nothing. Um, I came over with my partner at the time. Unfortunately, we, we're friends now, <laughs> yeah. but we're, we're no longer. Yeah. Um, and we did like, we did the camper van thing. Yeah. We worked the Adelaide Friends Festival. we we've been to almost every city, not West and Australia yet, mm-hmm. still to do that. Mm-hmm. Um And I just fell in love with Melbourne. Oh, it got me. I used to read Frankie magazine in Glasgow. So I actually used to... um, Frankie's huge here in Glasgow. It was quite unknown. So I would have to specifically have it ordered in to the news (laughs) agents that lived around the corner. And so I would read these stories about these Australian, like, amazing arts and crafts women or, like, business owners. And and you know the stories Mm. of Frankie's. And so I just... I had this glimpse of what Melbourne would look like. Mm. And I and a lot of people had said, you'd love Melbourne, but That's <laughs> like so up your street and all the little independent shops. Yes. And I was like, and as soon as I got here, I was like, yes, I am living here forever. Oh. <laughs> um, so it was really hard because, yeah, my partner ended up moving back to Scotland. I stayed uh-huh. um, did that usual stereotypical thing, fell in love with a, an Australian. Oh, yes! We <laughs> um, get to keep you here. Yes. <laughs> and, I've, and we're engaged, so oh, it's it's going really well, clearly. Yeah, clearly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's me now settled here. And so, um, yeah, and I think it was that experience that really triggered um, the start-up because mm. I had moved jobs and careers in countries by that point yeah. and nothing changed It was always the same story, always the same. Like, Ali, you're the only girl on this team. Ali, you're the first girl on this team. And it was just like, oh, you know, it's not that I don't... I love working with men. Mm. (laughs) Like, I love working with men. But it was just that I missed being able to be full Ali, you know? Mm. Like, Ali, who also brings Elle magazine (laughs) (laughs) to work. Or Ali, (laughs) (laughs) Ali, who wants to talk about her hair for about an hour. (laughs) You know... (laughs) Sully. And I just, I miss being that part of me that is also feminine and Mm. being in all male dominated teams all the time is just, it is just hard work sometimes, you know, and especially when you want to start progressing your career. Mm. And it's one thing being the only girl on the team Mm. and just even speaking up in a meeting or having a decision that you want to stand by. But imagine leading a team of just men and you're just the women. It's just, it feels sometimes very much Like, it's an impossible Mm. challenge. But um, I know that's not the case for everybody. But for me, I just was was tired of it. I thought, I have to do something about this. Mm. And it was at that point being a newbie again. Like, you leave your networks behind, you leave all your contacts behind, and you have to start fresh. You have to figure out who are the good companies to work for, who's got the good culture, who are the good bosses, who are the good teams, what is the good work? So it was just navigating this whole industry again. But as a woman who didn't know anybody, having to go along to events and conferences, not knowing anybody, but also looking the way I look and being who I am, I was just, it became a barrier. It became a real actual barrier. I was starting to lose touch with what the up-to-date tech news was, or the new up-and-coming languages and programmes, like, you know, as a developer, you you have to move quick. It's an industry that just passes you by if you don't socialize and go to these community meetups. And I mean, you can read blogs and you can watch videos, but, you know, it's so much more enjoyable when you've got a drink in your hand and you're chatting (laughs) away to people. (laughs) So there was just this really clear um, issue. And I thought, when I came to Melbourne, I realised it was an opportunity there to bridge this gap and create a community where female technologists could get together, have a glass of wine, talk about projects and platforms and languages, and it just be totally awesome. <laughs> so that is that is the inception. That's how it all happened,
0: really. Wow. I feel like I say wow about seven times in <laughs> this interview. I feel like I've already said it in wow. <laughs> this interview already. Wow, because that is... A, it just, I just get caught up in, and just in the best way possible in your story, Ali. It is just so interesting. So, I think, I think firstly that transition. I think, I think something that really just stands out to me about you in general is just your ability to just make it work, even when all the odds are against you. So you know, even with university, it was oh, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have to make this one work. And then you know, you move to Australia or the te- your, your tech firm, um, the Uh, The the agency where you're like, I'm going to try and get stand out somehow. And you always just seem to make it happen for yourself, which I absolutely love. I think on that, I think so many of us in a way are afraid to be that one person in the group, to be the one person who puts their hand up or to be the one, you know, female or male, whatever it is. You know, how did you – how – how were you able to to navigate that during that time? Before you decided to start the company, when it was all so much, when you were moving cities, and and you realised you really were the minority.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, and even though it's probably true, I never felt alone mm. in the journey. I was always surrounded by good people who supported me. Um, even, in my f- even when Code Like a Girl started, I had th- the mentorship of my boss, mm-hmm. who, um, Kath Blackham, um, she was the MD at Deep End where I was working at the time. She backed me. She was like, yeah. you can do this. Like, she was she was spending her, her free time to chat to me, to kind of, Show me the ropes of like. So this is what our business is. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> One you do it. Yeah. Um, I had my best friend Marcy who was by my side um, who helped me start the community. She she was like a social media guru. So she was like, okay, you've got to get your social handles in in place, and like gave me all the advice in the social world. And so there was never any point that I was alone in the journey. So, but I, but there was a fear. Mm. And I remember sitting on Cold Lake Girl and the idea of it for probably about 3 months before I actually pushed it out live. You know that way you, you oh, build the yes. website, you've got the idea, you you dabble a little bit and I had this tremendous fear that I wasn't a well-educated feminist. <laughs> so it's really random, <laughs> but I but I remember like I have feminist values that are just authentic and through me, but at the time I was really scared to make a stance. And I think particularly the climates are really changed nowadays, Mm. um, which is so great, I'm, like, loving it. But I remember being then kind of scared to even tell my colleagues I was doing um, creating a feminist community, and Mm. I wouldn't even call it that at the time because I was really scared of the backlash, and I was also scared about not being an expert in it, Mm. that I would say something and I would disappoint the women in my community, that I would – because I just was a developer. That was my world, I didn't know a lot about gender equality, but I just wanted to, to solve a problem that was authentic to me mm-hmm. that I had experienced. Um, and so suddenly you're on radio, suddenly you're on the TV, mm-hmm. and you're having to be this representative. And that was such a, like, it was scared the living daylights out of me. And I remember even, I cannot listen to, like, the first few <laughs> interviews I yeah. ever did because it's so cringe. I remember just being terrified in my. I mean, my accent's quite strong, and I try very hard to slow it down. But (laughs) when you are that nervous, you can't slow that down. (laughs) So those first interviews, I remember even being cut out of things, like because they just, I'm just incomprehend, like they just can't understand me. (laughs) Um, So it's really funny watching yourself progress Mm. and and get comfortable and. The biggest learning, and, and my advice to anyone, is you grow with your company. Mm-hmm. You don't start day one when you register that business and suddenly turn on. It <laughs> doesn't It doesn't work like that. You no. and the business, you grow together. And I was very young in terms of my <laughs> business mind and yeah. business argument. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know anything when I started. And so you just work it out. And if you don't start because of fear, you may never start. And it's just about taking one step at a time And then comparing yourself to only yourself. And that was an important lesson. Because you get overwhelmed, and particularly in this day and age with social media, it is so easy to get caught up in it all. Um, And to let that also put pressure on yourself and affect your mental health. Because, And you just have to keep coming back to, who was I yesterday? Who was I a month ago? Who was I a year ago? and celebrate that progress that you yourself are making because that's what it's really all about. If you are passionate about something, if you want to make change so bad, you will make change. And it may be a small change or it may be a big change, but you should be happy because you set out for a goal to make change and that's exactly what you did. So for me, the success of Kodalikaril is it's just unbelievable. I mm. I kick myself sometimes because I'm just like, how did this happen? But then when I think of all the stories, all the people I've met, all the all the happenings that's <laughs> happened, <laughs> I there's the answer. You know, it takes a community to do what this company has done. It's not just me. It is all the amazing people I have had constantly supporting me, and it is just yeah, I I couldn't be more thankful for them. And and
0: yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it, Ellie. I I I could not agree more with surrounding yourself with the right people, Mm. figuring it out. You know, I think we're only as good as the people who we surround ourselves with, and it's just it's amazing your ability to be able to come to a new city and make, make those friendships and you know connect with people on a deeper level and build this community that you have to the level that you have. It's just incredible to see. And I will do a bit of a shout out to you just so that everyone understands the level of code like a girl so over just four I think it's been about four years or so or four to five years and, Look, over that time, you've grown tremendously. <laughs> you know, you received the Gold Disruptor Award at last year's Australian Computer Society Awards. You've won the BT Woman in Media Award. And last year, you took home the Education Award at the City of Melbourne Tech Diversity Awards. The list keeps going, Ellie. <laughs> and honestly, you should be so proud of yourself. And I think you're Thank just you. such an example of what you can do when you get out of your own way, when you don't let your past define you, and when you just go out there and do what you feel is right. And so for that, we, we really appreciate you.
1: Oh, thanks, Michelle. I could cry. That's really oh, nice summary. <laughs>
0: of course. Of course. Look, we could be chatting for days. I, I honestly <laughs> want to keep going with you, but I am conscious of time. So with that being said, you know, I want to ask you one last question, okay. which is how we finish all of our interviews here at The Pierce Project, and that is... What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about?
1: Oh, that is a really good question. What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think it's... Oh, this is really tough. I I like to make it hard. (laughs) I need to be articulate, don't I? I think the value... Is finding something that is very hard to find, and that is your purpose. I sometimes wake up and feel that this was my purpose. <laughs> that sounds real. I'm not. I'm not a religious person. I. I. I don't really have spiritual beliefs either. But something inside me thinks I was made to do this, and I just believe in that. It's like this essence that I believe that I was supposed to be. The founder of Goldlock Girl, like this was what I was supposed to do with my life. <laughs> and I feel so nourished as a person, knowing I get to fulfil that every day. And that's it. It's like a, a nourishment um yeah. Nourishment.
0: <laughs> I love it, Ellie. Oh, that was beautiful. I absolutely love it. Ali, ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, for Well. Sharing. We have had a blast. I, I cannot wait. I'm <laughs> glad. I'm glad so am I. This is lovely. Sitting here in awe listening to you. <laughs> I cannot wait for everyone to listen into this. And honestly, I can't wait for the social media quotes. I can see them all coming. Um, can where can people learn more about you and Code Like a Girl?
1: They can learn more about me and Code Like a Girl. Probably the website's a good
0: spot to start.
1: Code mm. Like a Girl. Called like a girl.
0: dot (laughs) org in the Aussie accent. (laughs) Love that. We'll link that up in the show notes. Thanks so much once again, Ali. It's been a blast. Thanks, Michelle. And for all of our peers out there listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit the thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.